Welcome to the Outdoor Panel Podcast, where we talk about chasing critters, catching fish, of course, hunting and fishing stories, and a lot of BS. There's like a beast. Oh my god. Are you kidding me? Oh, that's a nice eye. Yeah. That was a fast one. Holy cow. All right, folks, tonight it's just me and Zeb. Like I said, this is why we have the hunting panel, because we got a bunch of average guys who have families, full-time jobs, all that stuff. So whoever can make it, can make it. Whoever can't, can't. So yeah, tonight we have an exciting podcast with me and Zeb. We're going to talk about uh, postseason scouting or preseason scouting, depending on how you look at it. Um, we're just going to give our insight of we attack scouting after the deer season closes and uh i know zeb and myself we attack it as soon as one season ends we're we're hopping right into the next uh for the following year so yeah so how you doing tonight zeb i'm living the dream my man you living the dream i i'm here i'm six feet above the ground i'm feeling good it's a great day to be alive larry smith says so yeah, uh, it's good to be yeah here. yeah postseason scouting have uh you done anything that this year for uh postseason scouting i know you you were grinding it you were grinding pretty hard with your pops there for a while yeah i'm still hunting um this weekend i'm actually gonna get out hunting more allison is chomping at the bit to still shoot a deer so we're gonna go out and uh i know I want to do some ice fishing Saturday morning, but hopefully dad might be coming down Sunday. So we're going to do some more hunting then. And I always like to end the season, like at the very last day, like I always like to go out there and just sit there and I don't know, it's been my thing the past probably like five years where last, last evening of season, I always go out no matter what. And I just pop up a tree, just sit there and like, think about everything that happened. So yeah, I'm still grinding, but there's a lot of things like now when you're walking into the woods that I can see like for next year that you miss, like, cause you can still see rubs. Like look at that rub you found the other day that still had uh shavings on the ground. Yeah. That was, that was an uh, unexpected right there. Like, well, I, I'm thinking those, there's a group of bucks still in there because when I scouted, when I was in the process of scouting that freaking does were piled up in there. I think, my couple hours of scout and i saw two does when i'm not even trying like i'm being loud loud as hell like going through there just busting through and i still saw like four does in three hours and they're yarded up in there i saw them crossing the street as i was driving and i mean it's i found a late season doe spot for sure and it's not very far off the road so i'm pretty i'm pretty excited for that next year so yeah because i mean you might be able to find some sheds in there if you're into that too oh yeah i'm it's just the matter of time times times the thing you got so many damn things that you want to do like you said ice fishing deer hunting shed hunting and like bud and i are talking about once the ice goes out of lake michigan chasing brown trouts like it's just got so much shit you want to do you wish you were retired well that's kind of how i set up um 
or like what I think about when I'm scouting in the woods. Cause you know, the, when fall hits, I still like to do all sorts of things like, yeah, deer hunting is always number one, but freaking I love duck hunting. I go pheasant hunting every year. Like I got a dog. That's awesome. So, I mean, I love to hunt him and you know, the first, if I don't have a kid on the way, I'm elk hunting like that first weekend. We always come back like opening weekend usually. So, I mean, you go from elk hunting. So I got, I can really, my early season is mostly like after work stuff and a couple weekends here and there until like October 20th. Then, then the weekends die down, you know, you got two opening days of duck and opening a pheasant out in Minnesota and, so I kind of gear, gear my thought process with what can I do quick next to the house and. Yeah. And I think that segues perfect into what we're going to be talking about tonight. Cause like everything that you're starting to do now to prepare for next season is helps your efficiency. I know you don't need to do it, but in order to make yourself a lot more efficient, postseason scout. Even if you get one or two days out in the off season, it really it really cuts down the work that you have to do in season. Although I still think in season some of the most important scouting you have to do because that's what's happening then. I mean, you can always refer back to bedding areas and confirming where where the deer are and where the big ones are based off of your previous knowledge. So, yeah, that's a good point too. That hopefully we'll get to later. And I was thinking about how in-season scouting can actually screw me sometimes <laughs> that people don't consider. I'll just say it right now, like, you know, like uh, prime time, end of October, all the leaves are falling still most of the time, you know, in the hardwoods that we hunt and stuff, like you got leaves falling all the time until like mid-November at least. Yeah. So like I can walk into a spot and not see as many like tracks you know in the kicked up leaves and all that stuff and that can turn me off or turn a lot of people off in season scouting versus like scouting terrain and i mean if we're going to get into it that's like one of the things that i scout a lot and i know you scout a lot too is terrain features yeah no and that's another good segue because that's how i that's how i do my scouting like throughout the postseason like I do it based off of terrain features. Like once we're in like this frozen hell time period, I'm in the marshes. Like I'm pounding ground in the marshes because in my opinion, I think that's where you can see the best sign right now, like is in the marshes. Cause I mean, you can see the rubs, you can see the, like the trails through the cattails and whatnot. And that's what I hit up first. I'm not sure about you, but that's what I do. So I guess I'll, I can tell we're both fired up to talk about this. So I'll, I'll take a step back here. Let's uh, maybe uh, I'll ask you this question. So starting off, how do you prepare? How do you scout for your early season hunts? Like, what do you look for? If you're going to go out in a piece of property and be like, all right, I want to make sure I can hunt. I'm going to look for spots I can hunt from September 15th to October 15th. All right. So that's a good question. So obviously I think we both start off on Google earth or Onyx or whatever mapping program that we're using. And for me, what I am looking for is 
has to have oaks, apples, some sort of early season food source that I can identify on the map, which is pretty honestly easy to do with aerial views nowadays. Like if you see like super tall, like you, you can tell on the maps, something super tall, you can tell if it's defined and if it has a little bit higher ground, those tend to be oak trees. Then like I've noticed that apple trees kind of grow up in like kind of like CRP thicket type stuff. I don't want to call it CRP, but kind of that like scrub ground type stuff. Sometimes it's CRP. Sometimes it's just a clusterfuck. Um, Honestly, it's like, it's kind of like open grown over pasture. Like, yeah. uh, I know exactly what you're talking. You're not yep. going to find, I mean, I have found some apple trees and like just thick, nasty shit in some of the country because yep. you can tell they were there before the land got to wherever it is now. But yeah, yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, and like most of the time for apple trees, because I've noticed I found some apple trees that aren't dropping anymore. Like, mm. so it's like the only way you know if it's an apple tree is by like your previous season and they're like early season or or mid season time period, or you know you just go in there and guess and there's an apple tree there. But uh, I look for that type of stuff. I look for areas that have some sort of egg field with some sort of crop rotation, like beans. So throughout the summer, I can shine those fields or glass those fields. So I have like intel throughout the summer. Um, that's the type of stuff that I'm looking for early season. And, and I'm looking like I'm kind of transitioning because I've hunted in the hills like in it's a catch-22. You, you, you need the right food source because, like, I've noticed that they really like apple trees in, in the hills, and they like the oaks. The problem with the hills is that there's so many damn oaks that it's hard to freaking center them down. Where in the hills, what I'm looking for, I'm, like I said, I, I, was looking, I looked for apple trees in, like, those sort of thicket-type areas. But I'm looking for points that don't have oak trees on it. Like I'm looking for conifer type points. I'm looking for maple type points. I'm looking for anything that does not have oak trees. So those deer have to move to the food source. Where in marshes, I'm looking for white oaks. I'm looking for, for white oaks. And I'm looking for them just bedding off those food sources as like that first staging area. I think everybody talks about bedding, 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 bedding. But like... I don't think people correctly talk about like staging areas. Like, I feel like there's different staging areas. Like you have bedding and you have like that first staging area where it, it's that first oak tree. Then they like move a little bit more to like a second staging area, which might be hardwoods. Then they move to that destination food source. So I don't know that that's the type of stuff that I'm looking for. How about you, Zeb? Well, I got a couple of things like that. You, you hit some buzzwords for me. And the first buzzword is staging area because I get it. I just don't really like the term. Like, yeah, as soon as them, them deer get up, I don't know if I agree with this is going to make me sound like an idiot, I guess. But, you know, a buck gets up and the first thing like they do, they just start browsing. And like, I don't know if they're like staging because they're afraid to go out in a cornfield. They take 15 yards you know they take not not 15 yards but like 
50 yards and they're in standing corn where you can't see a damn like they're safer yeah. in the standing corn than they were in their staging area you know yeah um but you hit on the white oaks too and i don't think a lot of people know why deer like white oaks more than red oaks but i had uh an old redneck tell me this from our hunting camp because his dad was actually um and I think he worked at one of the fish hatcheries. I don't know. He had a, a bachelor's in natural resources. And back in the day, I mean, to have that, it was, you know, pretty good. And uh, he told, he always told us, like, or told the people that we hunted with that, you know, deer always like white oaks versus red oaks. And, you know, I grew up knowing it, but I didn't know why. And then we were sitting there in class one day and the teacher said, red oaks take two years to produce an acorn and white oaks only take one so the red oaks are actually more bitter yep the white oaks and it's just a cool little fun fact i guess that i don't know if a lot of people realize like that's why they like white oaks so much more than red oaks but yeah there's less what they call it less tannins and and yep. white oaks they're a little bit sweeter tasting yeah um, and, and another i think overlooked food source that everybody talks about that uh, like successional growth our successional growth feeding type stuff for late season uh but early season man like i've had some really good like natural browse type hunts like stinging nettles man stinging nettles i've i've had a lot of good freaking hunts over that type of stuff um i know it, everyone has talked about like the duck potato too being being huge and whatnot but stinging nettles is is an underrated browse browse type deal so oh i agree there's uh there's another one so speaking of like the browse so one of the bedding areas i actually this past year i actually put a camera up um in a bedding area that my wife shot a 10 pointer out of like right over the bed and there was a top of a popple tree that it got blown down in a windstorm and it was in the way of my camera so i actually knocked it down but it was still in the frame dude i had three different shooters come in before the season and that tree was bare within two weeks of me pulling it down. And that was right around the beginning of September. Like they're, they're pretty opportunistic. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, other white tails can feed on so many different things. Like, especially that time of year where it's like, sometimes you don't know what they're feeding. On. <laughs> you just notice that they're feeding on shit. <laughs> and, um, yeah. So, oh, so what yeah. I look for, so I'll break it down into two different scenarios for me. One is the hills and one is flat country. You know, it's got a little bit of terrain, but it's not like bluffs. And so for the flat country, I am looking for bedding areas, not specific beds. You know, like I'll find specific beds and it's sweet because, you know, some of the bedding areas just aren't that big. So I'm like when I'm scouting in the spring, I'm looking for oak trees and i'm doing the perimeter of those oak trees like around the thick stuff looking for rubs like that's all i'm really looking for is rubs going to and from food sources like oak trees and if i can find a stand of white oaks that's like where i'm gonna really focus on things but i tend not to look a gift horse in the mouth like if i see 
any sort of rub line going to and from thick stuff into anything I think deer can eat, that's like my number one. So like, you know, deer don't necessarily follow rub lines a lot. You know, maybe they do, maybe they don't. I don't know enough about them. But from what I've seen, like, if I can find defined rubs going from bedding area to feeding, like, that's what I key in on in the flat ground. And it could be, you know, cuts, you know, some some newer growth stuff. Like, around here, you can find cuts. A lot of them, I mean, Google Maps, I'm pretty sure Google Earth just updated their leaf-off imagery, which is really nice for that. Um. So I'm looking for rub lines going from bedding to food and I don't get a chance to hunt a lot of uh, field edges and stuff in like the flatter ground, but looking for that or swamps coming in out of like uh, certain fingers, like you said, you know, on a map, you look at the leaf off or necessarily the spring photos or even the fall photos when, you know, oaks got those more vibrant colors that kind of pop out just like what you said and then you match that with like a topo map and it's like okay there's a piece of high ground here that's going to be oak trees yeah uh and you can kind of tell too like spokes on a wheel right coming out of the swamp like they all kind of lead to that one oak point or whatever it is and apple trees are another um and water sources and creek crossings because i think that's another underrated thing um when it comes to like earlier season on like flat country, when you can find those like definitive crick crossings going out of thick stuff into potential food, that can be at least a really good spot to put a camera. Right. Right. No, that but makes sense. I, I try to make it super easy for myself in Hills. Cause it's never like super easy, but, um, I, unless there's, something like that i see in season that says you need to hunt this right now i don't hunt bottom fields really at all because the wind is just too fucked up for me to you know when the deer are above you coming down low like i just i do yeah. enough scouting and run enough property that i just don't want to put myself in that position i i don't really hunt it much but the only scenario where i see that it is working was where you have a crick where your thermals can get pulled down at the last light i mean and you're getting in there you're getting in there the last hour like setting up the last hour because otherwise your, your freaking thermals shoot right up the hill and most of the the guys that probably listen to us know that so um and yeah. i don't have patience to do that you know like i remember listening to that for the first time where you know, it was on one of the Hill Country DVDs and they're like, you know, sit there and then run in the last hour. Like, ah, I don't have enough just for that. Like, I wish I did, but I yeah. I just can't. So, I, I mean, I try to make it easy on myself. I try to find points coming off fields, like with food in them, like corn or beans. Um, I remember the first time I hunted Hill Country, like I picked out a point coming off cornfield. Went in there, saw three shooter bucks. Two days later, or two weeks later, I went in and actually shot the one in the corner. <laughs> like it was like, huh, this is that easy. I mean, it's never that easy, but I try to make it easy on myself. And if I'm gonna hunt hill country, like I'm gonna hunt a top field and points coming off the top field um, with rubs on it. Yeah, and just want to make a point about hill country too. Um, 
like I said, I, I try and focus on like maple points, conifer type points, but I'm also looking for everyone talks about south facing slopes in the winter. I'm looking for north facing slopes during the early season because most of our, our winds in southern Wisconsin here tend to be southeast, south, southwest. So, I mean, that that's what I focus on too for, for scouting for early season setups. So I try to, that's a, that's a really good point. And I try to do, I try to find, you know, like the points that stick out from the West to the East, but I also try not to overlook the points that stick from East to West because, you know, you know how it is in the Hills, like those freaking the winds place, they're doing all sorts of different things. Mm -hmm. And you bring I I won't I'll say this like I'm not afraid to hunt a windblown point that's just slightly off wind because if the signs there like who knows I mean you don't really know what the wind's doing especially if it's it's if it, there's like more points right in that area and they kind of mess with each other and you can definitely tell like the winds just tumbling in there yeah because I mean when I look at hill country like that, like, okay, you're facing the wind, but the wind isn't just up top. The wind is down low too. You know, like it just doesn't start when you get on top of the hill. It's all the way up. Yeah. Well, and it's so dependent on like that certain ridge side or, or hillside. Cause like, if you have like just a straight cliff, you know, you don't got to worry about it. But if you got like more of a bowl type deal going on, that's like your wind's whipping around and it is it just kicking down or is it working itself around to that point? It's like that's where it, hills are are so unique because they never lay out the same. Like yep. that, that's the beauty of hills, but it's the frustration of hills. And that's where it's like in, in hill country unlike the marshes like marshes i get really aggressive like i'm freaking 50 to 100 yards away from that bed depending but like hill country closest i'm getting is i mean sometimes if it's like a straight cliffside, side i can get in tight but most of the time it's 150 yards closest just for that wing kick like you were talking about yeah that that first one i ever shot doing this like actually popped up a tree um well the first time i was in there i got to my tree and i cut it a little bit where i was coming up the hill and i cut the hill too short or cut the point too short and i actually seen the buck sneak away from me so the next time i circled all the way around it and i popped up a tree and i didn't like it because i didn't think i was close enough and i was in my climber so i got down and I actually belly crawled like 30 yards <laughs> to get close and i was like you know i kind of felt stupid like halfway i was like Oh my God. Like if somebody's over on that property next to me, watch me do this right now. Like what's going to happen? Like whatever, four 30, you literally come walking out to get to the cornfield and I killed him. It just, you never know like how close is too close and how close is not close enough. Like, oh, I got, I got a perfect example of something similar to that. Like, so this setup I was set, it was a north facing slope, had a southeast wind for that day. I preseason scout scouted it or scouted it in the previous off season, right after season. And uh 
yeah, I, I knew he was in there when he was in there. Um, ended up being in late September, early October hunt. And it was set up perfect for east, southeast type wind. And I parked my car in the parking area. Walked all the way around an egg field. I think it was beans that year. Like, I did like a mile loop. Absolutely insane. And there was like some apple trees that he was staging to go into a bean field. Uh, forgot to mention this. I actually shined him the previous night. And oh. I knew I knew it was a good buck. I shined him in going to the bean field. So I did this big, big loop around. I ended up putting like a mile and a half in. And this deer was literally bedded off the road, 100 yards. He could watch the road. Um, ended up butt hooking around him, setting up in a tree. Got within, you know, 150 yards or so. Because on that night, there was like no, uh, like three to five mile an hour wind, if that. Like, so I had to get in real, real soft. But I mean, me doing that extra mile loop ended up causing me success that night. Like, he ended up coming in to 15 yards because he was going to stage up. There's your stage word. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Let, let's think of a new word for staging area by the next time we podcast. And we'll we'll let our it listeners know. It makes sense. I mean, it just. I, I think there's like differing staging areas, though. Like, I, I really do. I, there's like that initial like stop. Before they do whatever they do the rest of the night. But ended up uh, setting up on that deer. And he actually came out like two or three hours before dusk that night. And uh, ended up getting a shot at him. And it was uh, another screw up. I hit, I hit him above his spine. Just a 12 yard fuck up. Like just. Oh, man. Just, he was like another. He was like 130, 140 inch buck. It was my shooting sucks. I, I know how to find them, but I can't shoot worth a shit. But uh, anyway, it just, you know, putting that extra effort in to, to get on deer. And I don't know, all those elements of, of, you know, not having oak trees right there, making them crew move a little bit before daylight, him wanting to go to those apples and beans. I mean, that's the type of stuff that I look for. Do you hunt much, much for marshes at all during the early season? So it depends what you mean by marsh, like, uh, okay. you know, cattail marshes. No. Um, cause I just don't have a ton of them around that I hunt, Yeah. And I, but I love hunt, uh, like tamaracks. Okay. Uh, tamaracks. And I mean, when I used to live up North and like I was hunting Northern Wisconsin, I mean, it was all swamp based. I mean, yep. there was some like popple slashes and stuff, but it was all getting them out of the swamp, you know, swamp islands and everything. Um, so like, sorry to interrupt, but like, so you're postseason scout, you're getting in their postseason and scouting, right? In the swamps? Yeah, in the swamps and stuff, yep. right? Well, what are you looking for in like a tamarack swamp? Because I think so many people know what to look for and like. A cattail swamp because it's been so publicized but like if we could dive into like a tamarack swamp like what you're looking for that'd be awesome oh yeah that is that isn't a problem like at all so for me um it goes back to rubs like i'm not saying i'm a like rub line junkie but 
I don't really pay attention to scrapes unless they're in the right spot. And I know like it kind of sounds cliche because I think everyone talks about that nowadays, but like if, if I'm setting up for early season and you know, you watch those bigger deer, like I was chasing a really big deer coming out of a tamarack swamp. And I mean, I, I actually found his bed and he was bedded like 30 yards off the road watching everything and like you sat down in his bed and i i got a video of it on my phone like you can literally see a rub line going out of there like no other because i mean i've done so many fucking deer drives and tamaracks and swamps and all that other stuff like it's not fun and deer are lazy you know like they're always going to take most of the time path the least resistance and like when i get in there i'm looking for rubs on the outskirts you know, like I'll do a perimeter check on the whole swamp or whatever I'm thinking. Like it depends the size of it too. Like if you look at where they're coming out, um, say they're, say the swamp's kind of like a, it's got certain features like jetting out into it, like uh black brush coming off oaks or, you know, the tamaracks actually hit the oaks instead of having like that marshy grass in like a lot of those transition areas where you get like the ash trees and stuff like that, like anything that's going to kind of like point out to where they want to be. I'll take that. And then I'll start looking like along that transition where they're meeting, you know, where they're walking the transition to figure out where they're coming out into it. And then I'll walk back further and look for, anything i mean it could be like browse because sometimes you get kind of like uh, dogwood and even uh you know some alders in there some tag alders and stuff and they'll eat the tops of that and once you get in there like and you bet you, you got to get down a little bit because you know like, how it is standing up in tamaracks like you can't see anything until you bend down and yeah. then i'll kind of look because once you actually get into like the green swamp we always call them green swamps you can actually see a lot more than you think you can. Yeah. No, I think. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. So the one thing I'll add to that too, like hunting up north a lot, when you find a beat down deer trail in Tamaracks, it's mud because you know you're they're popping through that bog, and like you can, you can see it like it it's mud because them sharp hooves they go through a lot. But they're not swimming when they go through it. They're just, you know, hitting mud unless there's cedars and a stream in there. Then there's a whole other ball of wax. But yeah, no, I I, I think you pretty much hit everything spot on. Uh, I just noticed, like, when I'm scouting swamps, I for some reason I notice a lot of rubs around the parkland area. Like that just lets you know that there's quality bucks in the area. I I just noticed that no matter whether it's in Northeastern Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin here, uh, Central Wisconsin, like finding those those big rubs by parking areas. I know they're not probably not going there through there for daylight unless you're hunting an overlooked spot, but I, I look for that because I mean I've noticed in some tamarack swamps, I don't see too many rubs like in the tamaracks themselves. So they gotta rub somewhere. So I, I've noticed just like the parking lots are like the closest higher ground. So I noticed I'm making rubs there. Another thing that I was thinking in Tamaracks, um, 
when I'm scouting them, Tamaracks are so weird because, like, some of them you'll have, like, big bases that they can bet on, and some of them are, like, a rabbit couldn't even bet on them. Like, so when I'm I'm looking at Tamaracks, I'm looking for something that everybody talks about that can hold ground, and I'm looking for the high spots that can hold big deer because... Uh, this year during during gun season when I was actually scouting a tamarack swamp, like I, I jumped several does, but they're betting on something like that was that big. No way in hell is a freaking three and a half, four and a half year old buck gonna be able to bet on something like that. Yeah, I mean they could, but half their ass would be hanging off. Yeah, um, we got uh so we got uh drives up north through you know that we've done for a long time. And we've chased deer through the tamaracks. And growing up, I, I hated driving swamps because all I did was get wet. And I didn't understand why we were, it didn't dawn on me. It's like, why, why are we pushing swamps? Like deer are not going to be sitting in water. But then like a couple times I'd have a big one or not even a big one, just a deer get up in front of me and it'd be a piece of high ground. It's like, how the hell did that deer find this piece of high ground in here? Yeah. And you can see it like, you know, on Onyx, when you turn into like hybrid mode and you can see like the water or even just the topo, some of them will pop up or, you know, you were talking about with the oak trees where you can just see something's a little higher. Yep. Man, you can see islands like in a lot of tamaracks, you'll see like all of a sudden there's like two giant white oaks in the middle of a tamarack swamp. Like them are money makers. Yep. No, no, I agree with you. So I, I think, I mean, like you, like you said, you know, finding, finding like the initial rubs going into those tamaracks and figuring out, like, I, for me, figuring out where those big enough high spots are to hold mature bucks. Like, if I'm hunting just like d- deer, like, they can bet up on any one of those little mountains. Like, but if you're mature buck hunting, you got to find something that's, I don't know, three by three, four by four. I don't know. It is what I've noticed in Tamaracks, at least from my perspective. So, yeah. And I yes. think the sign is going to tell you um, a lot when it gets in there too. Like, so the, when I, the ones I can confidently say, like I was on bucks coming out of Tamaracks, like the Tamaracks weren't, you know, depending on how, old the standard tamaracks are you know they don't they can grow real big or they can just you know kind of stay small and they just get so dense and if there's like alders mixed in with them tamaracks everyone it seems like them bucks as soon as they get to an alder like they're just thrash them yeah oh this one won't stab me in the head with a dead branch like i'm gonna rub here yeah yeah the alders seems like no matter what swamp you're in and you find some alders and you're on a transition you'll know what's in there you don't need trail cameras like you don't yeah so yeah no i agree with you there so that that was kind of fun getting into some swamp stuff and that that's a little i mean tamaracks that's a little bit more bigger woods type thing too so um i, I just tape beat the dead horse with the cattails so that, that was something a little bit different that we were able to get into um what else early season? Uh, do you get a chance to hunt farm farms at all early season? So I don't 
I don't get to hunt farms. So my all my early season is either like my area with hills and like flat flattish ground or up north in like northern Wisconsin in yeah. in the big woods where you're hunting you know the swamp transitions and any oaks you can find because it seems like every fucking forester in northern Wisconsin wants to cut down oak trees. <sighs> Don't get me started there, but uh, yeah, I mean anything like little little cool spots that I can tell like besides swamps or tamaracks that people don't really touch on. Boy. Like for me, um, I, I really don't scout farms at all during like postseason scouting. Like it's just too hard because you got six to eight inches of snow, if not more on the ground. I mean, you can find rubs, but it's like, can you really tell if a deer's bedded in there like this time of year? So I actually save most of my farm type stuff for summer. Like that, that's what I'm trying to figure out that, that sort of type of terrain. So I don't even waste any time on that. So it's, and farms are so much, you can find their beds, but it's so much observing too. Like that's something I don't, um, I don't have a lot of experience in with just farms. I don't know, just, you know, my connections are not knowing farms, but you, it makes me bring up another point with the tamarack swamps and like the bigger green swamps and stuff, like when we're hunting up north. So we got kind of a smaller group nowadays, but me and my brother are like the drive, like we set up all the drives with the drivers. Like we got some younger guys and me and Zach, we've just been hunting this country for our whole lives. So we, we really getting a good handle on it. And we we kind of design stuff now over the past five years where you look at those terrain features in the swamp and it's like, all right, I want to end up here because I know if something's going to be in here, like it's probably going to be something to do with this area. And it's a lot of the times it's like, okay, we've got like six guys pushing up here. If there's one in here, it's probably going to get past us. But bowl season and gun season up north are two different things because man when they don't see a human for however many months like if you're relatively close to food sources like i don't know how many pictures like our group has of like laying a gun down in a bed in the middle of a swamp next to a three-foot rub you know that's just shredded in the middle of a green swamp and it's like oh you fucker now i know i think that's funny what you call green swamps like I, I've never figured out what to call them because they're not like cattail swamps. So I just call them dry swamps. <laughs> so uh, we got a bunch of different terms, you know, because up north we, there's so many different, you know, swamps. We got yeah. pocket swamps. We got green swamps. We got, I'm trying to think of the correct terms because some of the old terms really aren't politically correct. But, you know, you got black brush and, you know, some people call it red brush or buck brush but you know yeah there's we just call them black brush swamps or river bottoms with alders and yeah man green swamps are usually yeah green swamps and cedar swamps and sometimes they're interchangeable for us you know and that's one of the things like that people don't realize how much deer eat cedars like when it gets to when there's snow on the ground like they will freaking pound cedar trees tell you what 
that spot I just scouted, guess what they're fucking feeding on? The browse line was up to my freaking chest. Like, yep. they're, they're just pounding that. Like, they had that stuff. Chewed, like, there was, like, no cedar tree or no cedar green thing left on the tree. It was, they're well, in there. You go ice fishing up north, and you look at the browse line around the lakes, nobody thinks of that. It's like, oh, yeah. man. It's November 29th. Where are the deer going to be? They're super pressured right now. Oh, they're going to be down in a green swamp where they don't have to leave 30 yards. They can literally live in a green swamp in the 50-yard circle for a week just eating cedars and hanging out. Yeah. Um, I suppose. I mean, we're kind of talking about big woods. Uh, some of the strategies, man, that's kind of like a preseason type strategy, but... Uh, since we're on it, some of the stuff that I'm looking up in the big woods, I know in lower deer density areas where people say there are no deer. Yeah. Um, I've done a lot of driving outside of towns, like late season. And you wouldn't believe how many freaking deer stack up on the edge of towns. And a lot of public is touching the edge of these towns. And the, there's deer everywhere. I mean... Because you think of it, they're feeding on people's bushes in their yards. That's new successional growth or whatever they call it. Oh, yeah. Not much, there's not much for predators in those towns. I mean, you might have a, a bear feeding on garbage or whatever, but the wolves tend to stick away from towns. So Do we... You... Uh... Oh, go ahead. I'm lucky enough, like... You know, I lived up north for a bit with schooling and everything. And then, you know, that's where I really learned to hunt was up north. And then it's funny because it took my brother going out to Nebraska and hunting, you know, just not secluded, but just like specific river bottoms that held the deer. And then he had all these ag fields. And literally, like the first time I was out there, I was driving down this road by myself because I was waiting for my brother and his buddies to get done with school for the day. And they're like, okay, you're going to go down this road. There's nothing but fields. But if you see some deer coming towards the road, like a half mile out, stop or don't hit them. Literally, these whitetails were piling out of these little woodlots running to a cornfield two miles away. And they weren't stopping for anything. And, I mean, that's just kind of sets the stage for, I'll never forget when he told me that. He's like, dude, it's just like up north. You just got to think of it differently now that he got the hunt down there. There's so much useless woods. You know, everyone's like, oh, the deer density sucks, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it does when you look at the amount of land. And I'm not saying there's, you know, the deer hunting is as good as it is in other spots up there, because it's not. But there's still giants that get shot up north every year. I mean, the Jordan buck, that was northern Wisconsin buck. Granted, it was a long time ago, but don't matter. Um, But if you if you can break it down, like you see a big long stand of maple trees. All right. Well, where does everything come together? Like where, where's a bunch of shit meat on the map. And that's the stuff like we look for. And if you can get on that stuff, like end of October or early season up North, all I look for is trails coming out of a swamp, you know, on like points and islands and anything to go along those lines but to get back to your point like there's so much useless woods mm-hmm. that 
if you just walk with a stand on your back, pop up a maple 300 yards from the road or even an oak, there's probably not going to have the best luck. I mean, sometimes you might kill. Don't get me wrong, but yeah. No, that's no. a lax. Yeah. Like, I mean, when I'm postseason scouting, like the big woods, like Zeb was saying, find the highest amount of colors on a map. That's all it comes down to. And if you find three habitat types coming together or more, you're in the ticket. I mean, uh, it, that's where hunting transfers. That's where hunting's so cool. Because that spot in where we were hunting in Iowa, there was like five habitat types that came together in that little area. If you go to the Northwoods and you find five habitat types, you're going to find the freaking deer. It, it's not rocket science. And um, Bud and I have hunted the Northwoods. It, uh, for bull hunting, it's a little bit more limited than gun. But uh, in, in our short little stints up there, we've always we've always been around deer. So, um, yeah. So I, I think that's that's the biggest thing about the Northwoods. Find find the highest amount of uh, habitat density with the most colors on on the map. <laughs> well, you're 100 percent right. And like in season, like I tell you what, you you give five does in an area a week, and they're gonna make a ton of tracks. So yeah, you can walk into some of those open stands of woods and see tracks everywhere. Yeah. And then go in there and hunt, and you're not going to see anything. Well, yeah. or you might, you know, but long story short, you probably won't see what you're thinking you're going to see. Because up north, them deer cover a lot of ground. And when you can narrow it down, like you said, with anything that's going to give you that advantage. And, like, man, it's crazy how deer, they, everyone talks about them being transition edge creatures, you know, creature edge. Dude, there's nothing more true of a statement when it comes to whitetail hunting than that. Like. Yeah. And and I think like when you're postseason scouting in the big woods, I mean, you gotta remember you're not hunting the southern half of Wisconsin. You gotta remember you're in the northern half. In two or three rubs, that might be the ticket. You're not gonna see you're not gonna see twenty rubs. Unless a deer is really aggressive and really pissed off at the during the run or something like that. But it's you you gotta set the expectations of of what you're what you know you're getting into up there so so i and think community scrapes for me up north are dude that's a great point big because down here you know and like you said the whole southern half of wisconsin where there's just more deer in any place where there's just more deer like i've watched freaking young bucks walk through the woods randomly and make scrapes and i was like you're a fucking idiot like what are you doing you know but up north like in the areas that we hunt it's changed they've changed now um because of logging and stuff like that but literally like i guess i'll call them like legacy scrape lines like for 20 years there was always this scrape line on this transition and right in this certain transition this certain area there was always a, a scrape the size of a truck hood yeah and now like we've seen those scrape lines move you know, based on the terrain and all the cutting that's happened up north. But it's it's like a trap line up north for deer. And, like, I'm sure around here it's still the same, you know, kind of behavior. But I can't pinpoint it down here like I can up north when you can actually find a defined scrape line. Yeah. 
I, I think another thing about up north too is finding like scrapes that they're they're working year round. A lot of people don't understand that like oh they just scrape during the rut. They scrape early in the season. Like like they might not be scraping the ground, but if you're finding them working that licking branch throughout the year, you know they're pretty much held up their late season, probably early season and probably during the rut like if they're working that year round. So that's just another point. If you guys are struggling in the Northwoods, look look for the, the what do they call that? Would that be a perennial scrape where it's just work year round or is that an annual? <laughs> I just call it a really active scrape. There we go. <laughs> Shows how much I know about flowers right. and bullshit. <laughs> it's just, you know, there's just some areas that, you know, everyone likes to put, do you do this because of this? Do you do this because of that? Well, fuck, I don't know. There's spots I got now that I don't know why deer go there. And they just do. Like, it is what it is. Exactly right. Like, and I mean, that that goes, I mean, with in-season scouting this year, like, uh, like, <laughs> I want to keep on referring to that Iowa hunt, but it's like, you just fucking pound ground till you fucking find them. I mean, yep. if you're really struggling. Um, so, yeah. So, I think, I mean, that's kind of like what we look for, like postseason scouting and a bunch of different habitats. I know it was kind of just me and Zeb ranting, but I, I, I think you guys get the hint, like, get out there and get after it. <laughs> um, so, we got, like, early season done. What about, like, pre-rut and rut? Like what type of what type of habitat are you getting into? What type of habitat are you scouting? Um, just from my perspective, I say screw you, marshes. I'm done with you for the year, and I am all, all about the hills during the rut and pre-rut. That's 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 bread and butter. That I love it. I I live for the hills in late October and November. I'm not sure about you, Zeb. I think I think you're very similar. So I am. So- strictly terrain based during the rut and then i look for terrain with a complement of deer sign if that makes sense and that's in hill country or flat ground okay for me postseason scouting i i do a lot of terrain type stuff but i also like I actually do a lot of scouting during gun season to see what see what's going on like during the rut. Yeah. And I like to find those those bedding areas that have 20, 30 doe beds in them. Like I love finding those areas. I, I really do. And another another thing that I like to look for is buck bedding downwind of does. Like or at least doesn't always have to be downwind of does, I should say, but within proximity of does. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I heard this on the THP podcast with Zach Farrenbaugh, and I thought he brought up a really good point. Like, are the bucks like sniffing those does coming? Like, can they actually sniff them? Like, if they're downwind, like two hundred yards or something like that, or are they just cutting trails? Like. 
I think he get, makes a really good point of them just cutting those doe trails and sniffing those doe trails. I, I, don't, I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? So, man, I got so many things. I hope I remember, like, the points. Like, I'm slowly trying to make my brain about this. And that's what, honestly, to me, it makes more sense for them to be cutting the trails. Because yeah. you look at, you know, when I was growing up, you know, there's even grunt calls named like Ridge Runner and all this stuff. It's like, well, why why are they Ridge Runners? Well, they're going to run the ridges so they can cut all the intersecting trails coming in and out. Like, that's why, you know, hunting, like up north, we've had a lot of good luck hunting swamp transitions with, you know, high ground because they're running that edge, waiting for all the does to come out of the swamp. And they're not like... I honestly don't think they're running around with their nose in the air trying to smell like a hot ass from three miles away. Yeah. Cause I mean, I just look at my dog and like how he hunts. Like when I watch my dog hunt or any dog hunt, um, his nose isn't up in the air trying to smell a pheasant's ass, like on a hay bale 200 yards away. Like he's trying, trying to smell where they were. And like you watch a buck come through the woods and he's cruising his nose is on the ground and he's snorting most of the time, you know, like they sound like a fucking hog when they're coming through the woods, you know, they're, they got that nose and I just, I don't think that they're running around trying to, trying to do that that much. I mean, sure. Maybe they're, they, I'm sure they can smell to a degree, but I mean, why check an individual doe when you got to get so close to her, when they can cut them trails, just like what you're saying. Yeah. And, they can tell you know what's going on just by the track yeah and and i think i forgot to mention like what i'm looking for on a map and i think you know this based off like some of the spots that i was hunting is i i don't like finding those hard edges like i like a barren cornfield like does nothing for me a barren bean field does nothing for me like those soft edges where you get uh stand of like short ass winds or you get uh like a soft edge of like uh old old farmer's pasture that that's the type of stuff i'm looking for and i'm always looking to find like cuts that are connected to that because what i've noticed based off of my scouting everybody and their mother is hunting a saddle everybody and mother their mother is hunting the funnels like that pinch pinch deer down it, like with those standing egg fields or whatever it doesn't feel like a lot of guys are hunting those soft edges however there is a caveat that you brought up of there are certain instances where those hard edges do work like and i don't want to give away your secrets we're not going to give away that secret <laughs> unless you want to I don't know if I know that secret. Uh, it's, it's a gate. <laughs> uh, oh, guarding the gate. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, sh- should I not include that? Because that's a hell of a secret. Well, I mean, that that's where, you know, like we're rambling because we know like what we're talking about. And for people that aren't, you know, hopefully this is reaching people just getting in, getting into hunting, you know, these yeah. hill country and stuff like that. So, 
I mean, I'm not afraid. Like if somebody's hunting the same property we are and they're they're playing gatekeeper. Yep. Cool. Good for them. I'll be on the other side of the gate then. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we can we can talk about gatekeeper. You want me to want me to talk about it? You want to talk about it. You're the gatekeeper specialist, man. Like postseason scouting. What what are you looking in for like just gatekeeping there? All right. So what I define gatekeeping is it it's a fluid term, but I'll give you an example. So there's a long ridge system or even a ridge system on public. And there's going to be a point where the deer first have to come on and come off the public from private. And I think of that as essentially the gate gateway to the public land or private land. It could be along any transition like that. And during the rut, I want to be the gatekeeper to the public land where it, it's the perfect scenario is a long lone ridge system. And, you know, you got this long, lone ridge system, and there's going to be a terrain feature that's going to funnel them down at some point. So I, I'll take it from the property line to that first funnel area, whether it be a soft edge, a hard edge. Um, you know, it could be, you know, like a soft edge, for instance, it could be, you know, like a little strip of brush in some hardwoods you know, there's some hazelnut brush or whatever it is, a couple falling down trees. Um, or so here's a point I was going to bring up too: a barbed wire fence with a uh, strand hanging down from it. Yep. Cause I know a guy this year that shot a buck that was going to cross a barbed wire fence with a strand hanging down cough, cough, Eric. <laughs> um, and I've learned a lot the past three years actually about hunting barbed wire fence crossings. Um, Barbar fence crossings and tree funnels. Yeah. Those are two trains I'll touch on here in a second. But to get back to the gatekeeping, that's essentially looking for the first ambush spot coming on or off of private land. It might not be perfect, but it doesn't have to be perfect when the deer are on their feet, like what we had down in Iowa. Yeah. No, so no, that, that gatekeeping makes perfect sense. Like, I never thought about it until you brought it up this year. Like now it's, it's in my arsenal. Like, so Zeb, you know what my truck looks like. And if you, you see me guarding the gate, you know, who's doing it. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to that side. <laughs> I mean, it just makes sense, especially if there's a couple no, trucks yeah. in the area, you know, and you got all these, this pressure on public and I, I just want to be the guy that gets the first crack at them. Yep. No, sometimes. but um so to give more like terrain specifics what i'm looking for during the rut on the map is a lot of people talk about ditch crossings which i love them like i i tend i try not to overthink things like and make them too hard on myself and i'll get into an area and there'll be historical rubs and a pinch point like a, like a ditch crossing okay i don't see any other tree stands i'm gonna hunt here and it's worked for me like um you can't oh out think you're like overthink yourself into not hunting a spot because you're afraid you're gonna get um people walking in on you because sometimes people aren't just hunting the area that you want to hunt 
Yeah. Yeah. They're going to no. Yeah. And no, I hear, hear you on those ditch crossings. I got a spot. It, it's in a thermal hub. It's a ditch crossing. But it's kind of funny what pinches these deer down. It's not a road. It's not a river. It's a house. Yep. It's a house right off of public. It pinches those deer down. They have to cross right there. And um, <laughs> crazy amount of rubs in there. Like, I haven't seen any big bucks, but I think it's just a matter of time in that spot. If I hunt it once a year for 20 years and get one and crack at a buck in that ditch crossing, I'm for it. And plus the axis is 25 yards off the road, if that. So, Well, there's um, like that spot that my brother shot that big one at this year. Um, there's a ditch, there's ditch crossings on both sides, but one long lone point that sticks out, um, off the ridge system, you know, and some people will call it a turkey foot or whatever, but just picture like, um, you got a straight road and the, yeah. and then you got a, another road hanging off to the right, you know, you make a direct 90 and that's, you know, the intersection, you got one road going North and South and then one road that sticks off to the East. And right where that road hits that north and south road, that intersection, right there is just a natural hub. Yeah. You know, you can come in all directions right there. Yeah. And I've, the past couple of years, just hunting that spot, I've seen a lot of bucks on their feet just moving through that way. Yeah. And no, then, I, go ahead. Um, so going back to like, you know, there's some hill country that you've got like 80 acres to hunt that's public and there's really no standout ditch crossings. There are no standout like funnel features until you get into the woods and you start breaking things down. Like a lot of the properties are, especially in like bluff country and farm country are old farmsteads that got bought out by the state or anything. And I've really started to key in on two different things. And the first one is falling down trees. Uh, it kind of goes back to my brother in Nebraska because he shot an absolute giant. I think I sent you that Snapchat last weekend. Was that my parents showing you that buck? That yep. 12, not, it was just crazy. But when he was watching that buck come through, it was there was a bunch of blowdowns in a river bottom. And he knew as soon as that deer hit that one blowdown, he was either going to be out of his life forever or that deer was going to be effed. Well, he took the right turn and come on this side of the blowdowns because they're just big, giant, dead cottonwoods. And it funneled them right to him because, you know, deer aren't going to necessarily jump through blowdowns if they don't have to. Yeah. So if I'm on like a one lone ridge and there's not a lot of funneling, but I know there's deer coming through the area, I'll look for falling down trees on that like top third. And how, all right, well, there's deer trails and all of a sudden there's a, you know, 50 foot oak land. They got to go one side or the other. Yep. I'll look for that. And then I'll also look for barbed wire fences with gaps in them. Yep. And dude, oh, so I've seen big bucks go to fence crossings like that. Just because there's two strands or a strand down versus walking. Like I've seen them go out of their way, you know, not out of their way, but because the trails angle up 
eventually to the crossings when yep. they could have just went straight through open woods and just jumped the fence, but they didn't want to jump it. They just wanted to step over it. Yep. Um, this last, I told you this story, but we were on a deer drive this year and, uh, in a piece that we had never really hunted before and it was hill country and I was standing and I was on this point and I didn't know there was a barbed wire fence to like 40 yards away from me. Well, all hell broke loose in the drive and I, a bunch of deer were coming at me and then they took a hard turn and I stood up got over there and saw where they're um, going and ended up getting a couple of shots off, but didn't hit them. And, uh, I sent my buddy over there and, you know, check for blood. And then I went over there and here's a barbed wire fence, but five feet of the fence is not there. And that's where they crossed. Yeah. And those deer were pressured and I heard him get up in the bottom of the bowl, which was 300 yards away. And they knew where to run to get through that fence when they could have just hopped it at any point. Yeah. So I've started to really key in on like, if I find a fence in any of the property I'm hunting, where those crossings are just, oh, yeah. it sounds dumb because they're whitetails and they can jump freaking 10 feet in the air. But yeah, no, I agree with you. I see I see the same things. Um, I guess some of the terrain, uh, terrain that I'm looking at, like I mentioned, saddles, saddles in hill country. I'm not sure off your experience. Doesn't feel like everybody is in those. Like I, I see. Yeah, and honestly, like I sat in saddles a couple times. I have no faith in them. I get frustrated yeah. with them because it feels like your wind goes down in the saddle and it kind of whips it around a little bit. Yeah. Like that. That's so. Instead of saddles, what I look for um, is, like, just long, consistent ridges, like, that are, like, anywhere between, like, a half mile and a mile long. And the reason I like that is because chances are, throughout that half mile or one mile stretch of a long ridge, there's going to be several doe bedding areas in that. And it gives those bucks the most efficiency just uh check trails here check trails there check trails there and hop on to the next ridge like that's that's a big terrain feature i look for and not only that if i can find one of those long ridges with a steep drop off where i gotta pretty much climb up that ridge you can hunt that every day you can yep. hunt that fricker every freaking day and all i need to hunt that is just a little bit of confirmation sign like if there's a couple big rubs that's all i know need i i know that they're going through there and that's what i'm looking for in postseason if if there's small rubs that's that's fine i don't really care but if i find a handful of big rubs just on that property i know chances are that buck's gonna be hitting that ridge at at certain time you just got to put your freaking time in um so that's a excellent point and not to get frustrated by the lack of big giant rubs and everything even in iowa man like when we were down there like i didn't see giant rubs everywhere yeah and you know i don't really think that they necessarily needed you know rub everywhere yeah but you brought like his i 
yeah, that's a big thing that I look for is just a couple historical rubs and maybe a couple fresh ones. Yep. The way them freaking deer run like bluffs and hills, like the big hills that make them like run that kind of country. That's huge. And the thing I like about it too, if you got to get on a ridge that's half mile or a mile, you can stage hunt it. Mm-hmm. I mean, move a little bit down, move a little bit down. Like that's all you have to do. You And if you get to the point where you're just frustrated, you can just say, screw it and ground hunt and just work that ridge too. You, you can do it both ways. And the cool thing about like cliff sides, you can hunt that out of a tree stand, but you can hunt it on the ground too. Cause you don't got to worry about that thermal pull pulling off the hill if you're on a cliff side. So that's a cool thing about hunt hunting those cliff sides because you're you're sent it's the it's probably the most consistent spot in hill country where you don't got to worry about where your wind's going yeah i agree which is awesome and you know if i find a hot spot in uh hill country like i'm not afraid to hunt it like two three days in a row because yeah. of how those deer run that and depending on how much woods is actually in that area you're hunting the freaking whitetails, man, they get pressured by people all the time when you're hunting, you know, country like looking down in Iowa, how little woods, even in the bluff country, there was compared to like the farm fields and everything. Like, yeah. And when they got a little like you're the buck you shot when he's on his dumb juice, not saying you're going to get that all the time, but. I'm not as scared to hunt a spot three days in a row because who knows if that buck's going to come back or not. You know, he could spend two days on a hot doe and I could have been there the first two days and all of a sudden the third day he comes back. Like if the sign's there, I hunt it until the sign's not there. Yeah. And during the rut, I'm more worried about the freaking does than the bucks. The bucks, they don't give a shit. They really like, like I was saying, yeah, it, the, the bucks, the bucks are interesting. You need an old wily buck who's not all horned up to freaking to freaking bust yeah so yeah and, yeah. Well, and that's cute. like just saying that you know somebody's gonna listen to this and go oh these guys don't know what they're talking about like you can't do that with a big mature buck well yeah maybe but i'm also not after a 207 inch that's 13 years old i'm after the first good rack buck that comes in front of me and you know that's you want to put inches on it 120 and bigger are gonna get it like that's just how i am yeah, that's kind of where I am. Like three and a half or older on public. I mean, in Wisconsin, that's, I mean, that's a hell of a goal. I mean, if I were up north, I'm shooting a two and a half year old. That that's my goal. Like, it, it like and that goals is a whole different thing. Like, it can vary so much from freaking hunt to hunt. If I'm sitting next to a road, fifty yards off the road, he's 120 inches. Bye bye, buddy. <laughs> yep. Like it's 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 so area dependent. But is there any more like things that you scout like when it comes to uh, the rut during postseason? Like you talked about uh, guarding the gate. You talked about um, what else did you talk about? Sorry, I'm an idiot. So uh, like those those ridge connections, like the mm-hmm the turkey foot and even the the base of a ridge where it meets a river you know any of those 
any of those pinch points. And, you know, a lot of yeah. guys are like, well, big bucks won't go through pinch points. Well, there's certain spots that they can't not go through a pinch point. Like, yeah, look at some of that really steep stuff that we hunted down in Iowa. Like, if they want to go there, they're either going to hop on a boat, go across there, drop on the interstate and go around, or they're going to go through there. Yeah. And not, I try not to think myself out of a spot. Like, and that's one of my biggest things like scouting is I take it for what it is like. And I, I try not to worry about people. Yeah. If, if a spot just looks awesome, I'm going to hunt it until I either get fucked or, you know, shoot a deer and move on. Who knows? Yeah. No, I, I think another train funnel that I wish I got a chance to hunt more, but at least in southern Wisconsin here, southwestern Wisconsin, we don't have, like, a lot of, like, river setups that are conducive for, like, oxbows on public. I wish I wish there was more of them. And a lot of them, a lot of those oxbows are so easy access to people. I mean, yeah, I, I wish I got a chance to hunt a lot more landlocked. I know in central Wisconsin and northeastern Wisconsin and even southeastern Wisconsin, the, the river flows aren't crazy like they are down here. Like, sometimes, you, I don't know, I'll just throw the river out there because it's very popular. The Kickapoo River, it freaking, you get a heavy rain, one, two, three inches, you're, you're not going to be hunting that river. Like, you just aren't. Like, it gets freaking dangerous. Yeah, I uh, I agree a thousand percent. And that made you brought up a good point about like the rivers, and um, it can be another thing I look for that I really didn't really realize I look for in non-river situations, but it's based off of you know up north we got a spot we call it Porcupine Point, long historical spot from before I could even hunt. It's called Porcupine Point. It's a it's an oak ridge, but then it drops down into a point that sticks out into the river. And at the base of that point, so you you know picture you got a straight river, and then it just makes a big finger, and it comes back and goes straight. You know, like yep. it just makes a hard loop and it comes back. Yep. Well, that point is in the middle of that loop, and we they've hunted that point, and now we've hunted the point, and we've shot some great deer off that and they run along that river and they don't go down that point you know they don't follow the river exactly yeah they'll follow that river and you can cut them off there at the base of that point and man that one day my buddy ended up hitting a just a really really big one when i was with him and we didn't find it it was just i don't know how he didn't kill that deer but it's one of the things with whitetails I mean, he literally, I watched him center punch that deer and it took like 10 steps and his tail started to wag and he started to sway a little bit. And I was like, oh, he's going to fall right there. Kept going and we tracked him and we got permission to go on private and we tracked him for, anyways, long story short. But it was, you know, you can hunt the tips of the points, you know, on the river crossings or you can hunt the base of the points. And we've always had so much luck hunting the base of the points and it makes me think of a buck i killed three years ago down here um actually that one uh 
so it was there's a bunch of fingers of hardwoods going into a swamp and we were on one of the base of the fingers and that buck was running the base of the fingers that were going all into the swamp checking just like what you had brought up before where they can check the trails or they can check the deer individual deer kind of thing and he was running well he was walking he was just checking it was november 2nd i think when i shot him the he was walking the base of those points that stick that stuck out into the swamp it just so i guess that's something i look for that i don't really consider even like thinking about looking for it's just programmed into yeah Uh, i i think it makes sense why they they they're traveling where you're stating because i think you know where that river comes to a point right there Yep. You know, that that's probably deep water at that tip of that point. So they don't want to cross there. So I think they're crossing that like just barely above the tips and like kind of at the base is because that's where that's where probably the shallowest water is with the least amount of flow. So that makes completely sense. They can run the ridge or they can cross the water in those spots. So, yeah, yep. yeah, that, that makes complete sense. Um, yeah, I just wish I got to hunt more river bottom type stuff. That, that's why I'd like to go out of state, like to Missouri. Missouri looks like they have a lot of great river bottom ground that I, I'd just love to tackle. Um, so that one right there is a Nebraska river bottom buck. Yeah, and Nebraska was, has a lot of good stuff. Dude, it that Kansas was cool. Yeah, Kansas is another one. I mean, just dude, I the milk river what is that north dakota or whatever like i think that's wyoming wyoming montana milk river i i i don't know it's somewhere out west (laughs) yeah somewhere over there like dude that would be so awesome to be able to hunt stuff like that but i mean it all goes back to terrain and just seeing how the deer run it like yeah you know think about like up north i think about it too like if i'm following a river to get someplace and the river makes a bend but I can see where the river comes back out in front of me. I'm not going to follow that bend in the river. I'm going to walk straight until I get back to the river that I can see. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they do the same thing if, unless they have to do something different, but yeah. And since we're on river type stuff, I know this is kind of off topic, but um, one strategy that Bud and I have talked about, and I'm sure uh, we wouldn't mind getting a crew together to do this, but would be to like hunt those river bottoms that have a lot of public ground around them around them where you can kind of do a float like everybody talks about doing like the moose hunt or or whatever up in alaska me and bud have always thought it'd be the coolest idea during gun season especially like that thanksgiving friday that second weekend is floating those rivers and everybody pushes those deer along the rivers and just float in those rivers and just hunt it for like a weekend and and make a make like a river float out of it. I me and Bud have talked about that for years. That'd be a hell of a time to do a river float with a with a crew of guys. So, so I don't know. Big duck hunter, and uh, he goes over. Um, well, he used to. Long story short, him and his grandpa used to do that, and they they'd do it for deer. And it's not that far away from the area you're talking. Yeah. And uh, 
yeah you shot a couple like little bucks doing that like yeah dude it makes perfect sense like they you know if you're in a boat to a deer it's the same thing as like a car like don't stop moving don't make eye contact yeah get on them and whack them yeah and me me and bug got to get a little bit more of a clarification on the r- rules i'm not sure if you know the rules on this as long as you don't have like four per propulsion from your boat you can shoot from it i, I or is that just for goose hunting and, so, and duck hunting? i don't know how that rule reads otherwise you just pull up to the bank and <laughs> smoke them <laughs> yeah i'm not sure how it works for deer because i don't know if there's actually specific laws written on deer in the books um i mean i would just call somebody and ask but like for you know duck hunting and stuff when we're chasing um wounded birds like you can't have like your the motor can't be running you know that whole propulsion thing but when you're in a river and like the current's taking you like on a float you know you're not moving because of your motor you're moving because of the current you know and if you got paddles or whatever you're doing and, and a lot of those you know rivers you could have a paddle long enough where it could almost act like a uh or have a like push pull in the boat with you too so it could act like a talon you know on a bass boat yep and you could just you know kind of pause yourself there and the canoe is going to swing anyways so i'm not sure what the rules are take um i know a couple guys that are wardens i could call yeah uh one of their weddings interesting interesting thought you know you see a nice buck or something like that from your boat do you gotta go over to the bank or have to be within three feet of the bank like i don't know i i think once we get a little bit more serious about this trip i i would love to do it i think it'd be a hell of a time with a group of guys where you just camp on national forest grant land and freaking cruise the river for a weekend and like stack up deer uh it just sounds like a great time but the trip uh, this could be finding a river deep enough where you don't have to get out every hundred yards or trees. Yeah, especially that time of year because that's when the river tends to be lowest is during gun season. So, Mm. yeah. But I don't know. We did a lot of ranting. I don't know if this helped anybody, but hopefully it did. Otherwise, it was a good midweek therapy session before we head into the week and before me and Zeb. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Any other... I don't know. Do you have any other thoughts? I mean, I, I would say like late season scouting, but I don't think late season scouting, if you have snow, is really that difficult. If you're trying to get a deer, I mean, drive around until you find a bunch of tracks early. Yeah, that's what that's what we've been doing. Um, and we've been getting on deer like, dude, I almost had one on video with dad. I got the video on my cell phone. I can see the deer and they just wouldn't they needed to take a couple more steps and they didn't do it and man it was like you know five degrees you could just see his breath just going <laughs> but yeah that just try not to overthink it because it's so easy to read these guys that go into these big long posts on the internet and all these pages about you gotta do this when the barometer is here and the wind is you know at your feet if you can feel it and this and that it's like dude i don't know how you guys even hunt like yeah if I got two things, like if I need basically one thing and that's like, I think a deer is going to be moving through here and the wind could be kind of off. Well, fuck it. I'm going like, and that's been my whole thing. Like with public land is if I have a feeling that I have a chance at a deer, 
if someone's going to blow up that spot, it's going to be me because I'm getting the first crack at him. And yeah, it's worked no. for me. I'm yeah. sure I fucked it up, but. No, I agree with you. Like, I used to be that guy, like, when I first started bow hunting, like, oh, I got a Northwest wind. I get it, the leeward side. I mean, like, in cruising, like, the edge. Honestly, cruising the top third leeward side is the same as cruising swamp edge to me. Like, all that stuff's the same. Um, so that's really simple. Uh I guess figure out the wind and just give her hell is is what I do. I don't no no need for scent control. Christ, I had a 150 inch buck 20 yards downwind of me, and he did not give a shit. I get it. He was not in the right mental state. He was looking as Bud liked to or as Zeb likes to say, he's looking to take does to Pound Town. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, don't keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, Kiss don't think, man. If you I, I go with my gut too. Like, dude, I I went into setups where I knew, like, if I was going by the book or whatever, um, there's no way anybody would hunt it. Like, I don't know. And this is gonna sound really dumb to a lot of people that are really analytical to deer hunting, but you know, you hear some people say, and I'm not saying they're not right because they probably are, but in my mind, like, when I hear somebody say, like, there's certain spots that are just unhuntable. Well, I'll just kill them before they get to the spot where they're going to be like, there's, you just never know. Like, I'll take that risk. Like if a buck comes in and he gets to 65 yards in that unhuntable spot and he busts me, that's still a win to me. Cause I got close. Like if I get close to a big buck, like I'm like, okay. Cause 10 years ago, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And I still talk to plenty of bow hunters and guys not saying like I'm better than, you know, anybody, but you know, when you see more than one buck, one nice buck a year, it's like, man, like growing up at the people I hunt with, we all shot spikes and everything else. And, you know, every once in a while, somebody shot a big one. And I always thought the big ones were like ghosts, like, man, do they live in like tunnels and they don't ever come up or, you know, it's just those things where just take a chance. If you think it's right and you got a feeling, go for it. Yeah. You're not in trouble. No one's going to spank you. Yeah. I, and I mean, all you can do is throw a sit in, try it. If it works, it works. It doesn't, it doesn't. Like, I don't know. Hunting's become a lot more funner ever since I became less analytical. I'm not sure if it's been the same for you. So, oh, yeah. dude. A hundred percent. Cause I mean, you talk to guys that are super analytical and they'll be like, well, you know, I gotta be, I gotta do this. I gotta do that. And if I don't do this, then they're going to blow out of there. And then they go and hunt and they're super analytical and they're like, oh man, I must've done something wrong. I didn't see a buck. Yeah. How do you know if that buck was there? I mean, how do you know he didn't skirt you by 50 yards? Well, how do you, like, how do you know he was even there to begin with? Like, Yeah you put in a lot of work. Like how many hunts have you been on where you put in all this work? You think it's going to happen. You don't see a single deer, you know, like I'm, I'm there all the time and you don't know if you spooked the deer or they just weren't there that day. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, I don't know. And I mean, what I do, if I just get frustrated, I just 
I just scout. Just scout till you find something you want to find. Like I, I mean, I burned two or three days like prior to the spot I found, just scouting, and that's what Zeb did too. I mean, just burning boot rubber. Like really, it comes down to being that simple. Being out in the woods. More time you're out in the woods, the more opportunity you're gonna give yourself. Every day is an opportunity, and you just got to make the most of, you know, your time out in the woods. Like if, and, and I think this this is starting to stick out for me. I mean, this is a whole different rant. Efficiency in the whitetail woods is king. Like uh, being efficient for average guys, you got to make every second count. Like you 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 have to. So. I, yeah, I, um, I I agree a thousand percent, and I, like I've noticed the past couple of years, I even did this in Iowa when we were down there before me and you got together. Is I'd pop up a tree, I'd sit there for an hour, and I'd, you know, I had a feeling like it might work, but my major gut feeling was like I gotta move. So I'd literally, you know, spend all that time getting ready, sweating, get all my clothes back on sit there for an hour and be like not feeling it anymore i gotta get down to see more oh yeah i mean two days before i met you like i was telling you i freaking got to this ridge system i thought the wind was gonna be perfect for there got in there it was freaking swirling all over the place i'm like i can't hunt here like and that was a mile and a half trek in with had to cross a river in a kayak it literally took me two hours to get back there and I, I even got my tree stand hung up and everything. Like, I was like, this isn't going to work. I got to go somewhere else. Like, so I did. It was a waste of a half day. But if something's not going to work and you're just going to blow everything out of there. I mean, there's, there's a difference. That's a whole other thing. There's a difference between you just blowing out the whole freaking valley than a buck being somewhere you can shoot 20 yards downwind you. That's that's a whole different that's a whole different ball of wax right there. So yeah. but I mean we could go on this all night. I mean we're we're already an hour and a half in so I got a would you rather question Zeb for you. All right. Yeah, let's do it. I should probably cut her cut her back after the would you rather anyways. So All right, what, perfect. Yeah. All right. Would you rather Catch a 17-inch crappie with the with the rod and reel, like pan fishing gear. Okay. Catch a 40-inch pike on a tip-up. Or would you rather spear three, four 30-inch pike through the ice? All right, you dog. My answer is catch a 17-inch crappie. Because, I don't know, I love crappie fishing. Like, that's one of my jams in the spring. Like, my wife, we got one mounted that's just under 16, I think it was. Like, I mean, just, it was the biggest crappie I've seen in in person anyways. Um, and they're when they get that big man they are just something else like a 17 like i've seen pictures of them and i've seen mounts but it's just impressive because 
Now, if it was my only chance in my life to spear pike, then that might change it because I love crappie fishing and I do it all the time. But spearing pike would be would be awesome. Like I'm not gonna lie, dark hole spearing would be sweet. I I I do want to spear a sturgeon one of these days. Um, and catching a giant pike on a tip up is great. But yeah, I I'm crappie all day long. Yeah, through the ice, a 17 inch crappie like. I might need that, a bigger hole. Yeah, that's that's one heck of a crappie. Um, for me, man, a forty-inch pike on it with your hands, hand-to-hand combat. That that'd be pretty tough. A crappie, rod and reel, like two to three pound test. Oh, man, that that's. Spear and pike would be cool too, especially four over like thirty. That'd be one hell of a day. <laughs> That'd be nuts. I gotta agree with you though, dude. Fucking crappies, crappies through the ice. I'm like a basin bite or something. Oh, dude, there's so much fun. Like, and I watched my wife catch a pike. Um, so me and her actually rented a sleeper shack on the Chippewa Flowage. Dude, it was one of the best times ever. Oh, yeah. That's a tank. How big was that? I didn't have a tape with me, but it was bigger than a football. I think it was 16, based off estimate. That one would have went on the wall. Oof. I threw him back. (laughs) Uh Guess what I caught him on? Wacky worm. <laughs> Bass <Really? fishing. laughs> yeah. All right. So, folks, I'm just showing Zeb a picture of this crappie I caught. He was, I was actually bass fishing. Had some time to kill and freaking caught, I don't know, like a 16-inch crappie on a wacky rig. <laughs> you see that crappie up on the wall? Uh, yeah, I do. The one she caught it on like a five inch shiner. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't even a fight because it was on a tip up. <laughs> Dude, it's crazy what those big panfish. Yeah, yeah, that's a freaking tank. Yeah, and she also caught a it was a 39 and a half inch pike. Beautiful pike. Almost killed it to get it mounted for her on a tip up on the chip of flowage. Like it was oh man, I'll have to send you a picture. It was so pretty. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got a couple crappie guys here, so. Yeah, yeah. I, I, man, I love crappie fishing. Oh, it's my, out of all the bites on the ice crap and crappie fishing, I wonder why you were so hard on for those crappies. <laughs> yep. <laughs> what talking about. Oh, you, like, through the ice, I would rather catch perch, because them perch on the Mississippi, man. There's oh, something Oh, I, I was just watching some fishing videos out in Cascade Lake in Idaho. Ooh. I sent, uh, yeah, I sent Lisa, Lisa a YouTube video of that today, and she was like, so when are we booking plane tickets? <laughs> I Dude, like, I would... Dude, 16, 17-inch perch. Oh. I mean, just think, I, I don't think I've caught a perch bigger than 13 which isn't nothing on the Mississippi. Like, it's yeah. a nice, but I mean, I know guys that 
14, 15s. And man, when you get a perch over like 11 inches that hits on a jig rod, yeah. I'm fine run the show like you're just lucky to get them in like it's so much fun yeah no freaking bud and i were fishing just a small inland lake and that was two years ago we picked up 12 and a half inch perch like inland lake not mississippi river like that was we were surprised (laughs) i would be too so yeah other than that i don't have anything else unless you do no i better go uh Check on the fam. Yeah, go be dad. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoy listening. I know Zeb and I went on some rants and whatnot, but biggest takeaway from this podcast is get out there on your ground wherever you hunt or wherever you live and uh, find some new spots this postseason and um, enjoy, enjoy the process. Enjoy the scouting and enjoy everything. Enjoy just being outdoors. Uh, appreciate you folks listening check out the youtube channel we got some good ice fishing videos this year on the channel and uh maybe we'll have some scout videos and once you know it we'll be in spring and shooting some turkey videos so we'll see you guys next time thanks for uh listening